Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you uh, for, for your provision for us and all your kindness and goodness and faithfulness, uh, especially uh, in, in the gospel, uh, that we can know that we have uh, a sure, lasting, eternal hope uh, in your Son, and that uh, by faith in him, uh, uh, repentance from, from our sin and idolatry and trusting in him and him alone, uh, that we can have all of our sins forgiven and, uh, and have a, a lasting uh, eternal hope. And uh, we thank you for your word and for our time together and pray that you would help us and that you would teach us by, by your spirit and that uh, you would be uh, glorified and, and honored. And, uh, we thank you for all of these things and pray in your son's name. Amen. All right, uh, this evening, uh, we're going to be back in the book of Romans, looking at Romans chapter 9. I was looking at some other passages and working on them, uh, in like First Peter chapter 3, and I was thinking about Isaiah 53, but uh, there's just so much to work on there, and I, I thought it might be better our last couple weeks to keep a little more continuity, since we ended up uh, spending time in, in Romans that maybe we didn't expect to do, but... I'm glad, glad that we've done it. And so, and now we get to a new section in the book of Romans. And I hope this also uh, will lay a little bit of groundwork and might even help when Eric begins to preach and goes through in much more uh, depth uh, through, through the book. But Paul, uh, beginning this letter uh, to, uh, to the Romans, uh, who uh, were a mix of uh, probably mostly Gentiles, uh, but also some Jews, and uh, then within the, the Gentiles uh, from, from the nations, uh, there were probably uh, proselytes, those who had converted to Judaism, uh, God-fearing uh, Gentiles who hadn't made the full conversion, they didn't receive circumcision, uh, but uh, they intake uh, on all the aspects of, of Judaism, uh, but uh, they were God-fearers. They believed in Yahweh as the one true creator uh, God, so they were called God-fearers. And then also uh, those who had just been uh, pagans or, or unbelievers. They, they hadn't uh, come to believe in God, but uh, heard, the, heard the gospel and came to believe. And so as a mixed audience, as you read through, he deals with a lot of issues that concerns uh, people who would have understood uh, the uh, the Old Testament, or what they would have just known as the scriptures. Uh, those were the, the scriptures uh, for them. And so uh, beginning, he started uh, talking about and showing that a salvation is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's because the alternative uh, works, human merit, condemns us. It only brings guilt upon us because of God's law either written on our hearts uh, if, if they didn't uh, know uh, the Torah, if they didn't uh, know uh, his law that was written uh, in the, the scriptures by uh, Moses and the prophets. Or for uh, Jewish people uh, by, by the Torah as covenant that brought, brought a curse on them and showed them that they couldn't uh, keep it. Uh, and so then in the first chapters, uh, he transitions and shows 
salvation is only by faith uh, in Christ. It's a completely free gift uh, from God. Uh, and from there, uh, then turning to chapter 5, uh, he then uh, begins to show uh, now, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have uh, access into this grace in which we now stand. And so uh, we were justified solely by grace through faith. Uh, but now, now that we've been justified, we still stand in God's grace. Uh, it's, it's all, all of salvation is a free gift. And uh, because of that, uh, he shows the implications of our justification, our salvation, that, that now, even in our suffering, in the suffering for those, uh, those Christians in Rome in the first century, that even in their suffering, they can rejoice and have hope in the ultimate glory of God, uh, the glory that they will participate in uh, with Christ uh, in a new humanity, uh, receiving the fullness of God's salvation and blessing and promises, uh, going uh, away from the, the reign of sin and death and condemnation that came with the first man, Adam, now to the reign of grace, justification, righteousness, life, and peace. Uh, and uh, Salvation, uh, it's, it's all a work of uh, the Spirit, the Son, and the, the Father. It's, it's a triune work. Uh, it's a Trinitarian uh, work, and they're all in harmony together. And so he's just showing the implications of their salvation that a God does not stop with justification, but he will bring them all the way to glory. Uh, and through that, uh, he covered things like uh, that we shouldn't take grace as a reason to sin so that it abounds all the more. But we should offer our members, our parts, to God and to righteousness uh, because we're not we're not under law, uh, and uh, that although we're not under law, again, uh, that doesn't uh, mean that uh, that uh, we should sin, but we should be a slave not to sin, but to uh, to God. And along that way, uh, he said some things about the Jews, uh, the, his own uh, Jewish people, uh, that. Uh, that raised questions where now he's, he's discussed uh, the calling of the Christians who have come to believe, both Jews and Gentiles. It's all by faith uh, uh, for, for all of them. Now, what about the Jewish people? What about their calling? What about their salvation? What about God's promises in calling for uh, the Jewish people? What comes of them? Why have so few among them believed. By and large, they've, they've rejected the gospel and they haven't believed. And so this would raise questions for Jews, for proselytes, for God-fearers, uh, and even for Christians to understand uh, the gospel and might even concern them about their calling. If, if the Jews have been rejected, if they haven't believed, what, what about us? How, how, can, how can God call us and our salvation be so secure in the hands of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Uh, and what about uh, the Jewish uh, people? And so 
Uh, Paul uh, begins in Romans 9. Uh, and this goes through 11, uh, where he deals with uh, this question. Uh, and what about uh, God's plan for the Jewish people? And so in verse 9, uh, he says, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so uh, we see Paul suddenly opens, coming out of this great section, talking about the calling of Christians, uh, and that uh, they're secure in the love of Christ forever. Nothing can separate them. But now uh, he turns uh, to anguish over his own uh, people, uh, the Jewish uh, people, uh, showing that uh, there's uh, something uh, very, uh, very amiss uh, that he's going to deal with. And so I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, showing uh, here that he has a great sorrow, and uh, he's very sincere what he says uh, about his own people. People might misconceive uh, the Apostle Paul uh, to think that he was uh, opposing his people or standing against them somehow, but really his desire is for, uh, their, uh, for their salvation, that they come to believe uh, in the gospel, that they come to believe uh, in uh, the anointed king who, who has come uh, to fulfill all of God's great uh, promises. And so uh, he, he explains, uh, saying, uh, even very shockingly, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Uh, they are Israelites. I could wish my, uh, that I myself were accursed and cut off uh, Anathema uh, is something basically accursed, uh, devoted uh, to, to, to destruction, something that was uh, devoted like an offering uh, and, and given up as an offering to God, uh, but uh, for uh, given over to, to destruction uh, in, in burning. Uh, and it's kind of like, I maybe remember commentaries uh, even years ago as I studied this, uh, this book, uh, where you even see with some of the prophets like uh, Moses uh, where he intercedes for the people. Uh, God actually puts him in a position and gives him the opportunity to intercede for the people when they sin before God. And God says that he will destroy them because they're a rebellious people and he'll raise up a new nation through Moses. But Moses knows that God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if he's uh, now he is a descendant of them, God God could could do that. But if he's just gonna 
cut them off, then what's that going to mean for 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 Moses and, and his uh, his descendants? And so Moses uh, interceded uh, Daniel uh, when the seventy years had passed after they were in captivity for almost 70 years and he knew from the prophet Jeremiah that God would bring his people out of captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem back to Israel he'd bring the people back he prayed to God and he confessed uh, his sins and the sins of the nation uh, identifying with uh, with them as a, a sinner and you see that with Isaiah and with the other prophets that they would intercede uh, for the people and here Paul uh, can say, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That would mean that he would be damned. That would mean that he would be in hell forever. That means he would bear the punishment for his own sins and the sins of his people. And I don't think Paul really wants to be cut off from Christ but it expresses his great sorrow for uh, his people, uh, for the Jewish people, uh, as he says, for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So according to physical descent, his, uh, his, his people. And then he talks uh, about them, uh, tells us a little about them and how privileged this people are. Uh, they are Israelites. Uh, in fact, just flip back to, to Romans 3 for a moment. He, he says things like that, that they don't keep the law and that God is blasphemed because of them uh, after he, he condemns the Gentiles showing they're guilty and then the Jewish people saying they don't keep the law, uh, that circumcision can't help them because true circumcision is a matter of the heart. Uh, and they, they sin. They need their hearts circumcised. Uh, and so uh, he closes that section. Uh, verse. Look at chapter 2, verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised, uh, that's, that's a Gentile of the nations, not Jew, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code of the Torah and circumcision, but break the law. They have it, but they break it. It's not enough to have it if they don't keep it. It makes them guilty. And, and so they'll be condemned by a Gentile who, uh, who is physically uncircumcised but keeps, keeps the law. Uh, for no one, who, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one who is uh, one inwardly, and uh, circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, uh, that's the, the Torah, uh, the, the law, his praise is not from man, but uh, from, from God. Uh, circumcision is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the new covenant in which a God will circumcise their hearts, where he'll replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Uh, but then uh, this raises questions where it doesn't sound like it's too advantageous uh, to be a Jew, which raises big questions. If, if the laws, you know, doesn't do us any good in, in circumcision, he says, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, then what advantage has the Jew? Is there any advantage to this thing? And he starts to talk about the advantages 
but he gets away from it and he gets back to it in chapter 9. It's an issue he's going to address uh, fully uh, later in, uh, after he shows that it's by faith. And what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. He doesn't want to speak as if there's no value for the Jewish people, for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, much in every way. There's great advantage. Uh, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, the scriptures. They had the scriptures, God speaking uh, to them. That is uh, tremendously advantageous and that the Gentiles did not have. They did not have a word from God in the, the scriptures, uh, which reveals God to them. It can even reveal the way of salvation, as Paul says to Timothy, that he knows the scriptures. Uh, even from youth, they're able to make them wise unto salvation. Uh, and so to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Some were unfaithful. And so then he transitions much in every way to begin with, and he gets away from it. But then in chapter 9, because he gets back to uh, condemning them and showing that, uh, that uh, where he even says after uh, saying, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way by no means, for then how could God judge uh, the world? Uh, and then uh, just a little later, uh, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that uh, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. So when it comes to salvation, Jews are not better off uh, in the sense that they're under sin. They're guilty before God. They need a savior uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, just as the Gentiles do. Uh, salvation is the same for all of them. But then in chapter 9, where he talks about his great sorrow and that, uh, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Now he talks about the privilege of the Jew again. Uh, they are Israelites. That's the name of uh, their uh, father, one of the patriarchs, uh, Jacob, Israel. Uh, he was called the one who strived with God and man and prevailed. Uh, he basically, he, he wouldn't uh, give in, not even knowing who he was dealing with uh, one, one night when he uh, wrestled uh, the, in, the angel, the messenger, Malach in, in Hebrew, of Yahweh uh, until he uh, re received a blessing. And it was God he was dealing with. And God basically let him win, end up dislocating his head. But that's all. He got away with just that. You know, when you wrestle with God, if, if uh, he, he only bruises your hip or wh whatever he uh, did, uh, did there, uh, he got off uh, lightly. <laughs> and God blessed him because God had promised he would bless him. He wouldn't let him go until he received his blessing. He wrestled with God and prevailed, which kind of shows the, the nation where it's a stubborn, uh, stubborn nation that contends uh, with a God, kind of like their forefather. Uh, but... Uh, there, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. 
It's all list. The adoption. Adoptionist sons. They were God's firstborn. Uh, he was called, uh, they were called on the uh, Exodus. Uh, Pharaoh wanted to kill God's firstborn, uh, his preeminent one, his son, who is to receive the inheritance of the land uh, in, in God's kingdom and blessings and promises. And so God killed Pharaoh's firstborn as an ultimate judgment when Pharaoh uh, resisted and resisted and resisted and opposed God and the people. God ultimately uh, took the life of Pharaoh's firstborn. Uh, to them belongs the adoption, the glory of, of the, the kingdom and all the promises and blessings and uh, the, uh, the, the nation and uh, Jerusalem, the king, the prophets, the priests, the, the judges, uh, God who is king, king over all and uh, will uh, reign over all, uh, ultimately the kingdom that will uh, be brought uh, to earth uh, and all the nations and peoples will be blessed uh, through it, uh, the, the great glory uh, that was given them, uh, the covenants. Uh, the Bible has uh, many covenants and some are, are uh, to the Jewish people, uh, including the Abrahamic covenant that God made uh, the promises uh, that God bound himself to uh, to Abraham and uh, affirmed also to uh, Isaac and to uh, Jacob uh, to uh, bless them, uh, to bless uh, their offspring, to make them, uh, to multiply them, uh, to make them into a great uh, nation, uh, to uh, to, to uh, even uh, give them a Kingship and in glory, and to restore his creation blessing to them and to bless all the nations through them and to oppose their enemies, to be their God and uh, for them to be uh, his, his people. And so, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, they received uh, the Mosaic or Sinaitic uh, covenant, uh, the, the, the law, the, the Torah, uh, the priestly covenant that was made uh, with uh, the uh, son of Aaron, uh, the son of uh, Eliezer. Uh, that's, uh, Eliezer is the son of Aaron. Um, and then his son, uh, Phinehas, uh, the, the priest uh, that God made an everlasting covenant with. And even in David's day, when he raised up David as his king in Judah, his anointed king, he also raised up his anointed priest, Zadok, who's a descendant of Phinehas, Eliezer and, and Aaron. Uh, and this is, uh, these are the anointed lines uh, that God will ultimately bless uh, everlastingly uh, and will even be restored by, by Christ, uh, by his ultimate uh, heir. And so uh, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the priestly covenant, the Davidic covenant for the kingship, and the new covenant uh, in, in which all of salvation is brought about through Christ uh, and all of the covenants, all of the promises are fulfilled uh, in the kingdom, in Christ, in Christ alone. And so uh, they had adoption, uh, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, uh, which Paul says, you know, the, despite its weaknesses, couldn't justify, sanctify, or glorify. Uh, the Torah, uh, even as covenant, it was good and holy and righteous. But it is still also scripture. Uh, it's it, it still, it reveals God to us. Uh, it's good for training in righteousness, 
for teaching us about God, uh, even giving us a wisdom and moral guidance uh, as it's consistent with God's work in, in creation and in, in the, the new covenant. And so uh, the, very, the very scriptures uh, were given to them, the oracles of God, as he uh, said earlier in chapter three, uh, the worship and the promises. And you could not say that about all the nations who by and large were left in their sin. Uh, and they, they didn't deserve any of these things, the Israelites or the nations, to die, to perish uh, in their sin. Uh, they didn't have any of these benefits. And so uh, Paul does not act as if uh, the Israelites had no benefits at all. They had very great blessings and benefits from God. Uh, and then he uh, concludes, to them belong the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the forefathers. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, the anointed, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Wow. That's pretty bold and clear. Uh, some are like, well, you know, the, the authors of Scripture. They didn't know that uh, Christ was God. You know, they thought maybe he was an exalted angel. And from their race, according to the flesh, and this is the greatest benefit of all, because in him are all the promises and blessings, and all these things are fulfilled and culminate uh, in this very final one, is the anointed who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. That's also, you know, he's talking about no one can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, he is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The, the God man, eternal, eternal God, truly God, truly man. And so now uh, he gets uh, to, uh, to, to the issue. Uh, for all of these great things about the Jewish people, uh, the question that he's going to address is, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Uh, you might think that God's word had failed because of all the promises to the, to the Israelites, for the nation, for the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Has God's word failed? Uh, his calling to them, his promises, has it fallen flat? Is God not in control over all of these, uh, these things? And what would that say about God? What would that say about our salvation if God's word fails? Uh, if it doesn't come true, if you can't trust it, if you can't rely uh, upon it. Uh, and Paul uh, clearly states, it is not as though the word of God has failed. That is what chapters 9 through 11 are about. God's word about the Israelites, the Jewish people, has not failed. And in some ways, it will start more negative. But by the end, uh, although there, there's positive in there, but by the end, it will come full circle where, yes, they will be grafted back in. God has a pur purpose for the Jews. He has a remnant now. And at the very end of time, when Christ returns, there will be a great national remnant that God is going to bring uh, in uh, and in uh, to his kingdom. And then all, all Israel will uh, be, be saved. And so let's uh, just begin reading uh, through this section. Uh, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. 
4, uh, verse 6. Uh, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had, nothing, had done nothing either good or bad, in order that the good in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. And so, uh, uh, back to verse 6, uh, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For, Explaining, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. This is why it hasn't failed. Not all who are descended from Israel are of Israel. Uh, or, uh, not all who are from Israel are these Israel. Uh, basically saying that uh, there are two senses in which one can be from Israel, but not belong to Israel. Uh, there is a physical nation, a physical descent, descent from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where they get the name Israel, and the 12 tribes. And in a sense, that's an Israel, uh, the, the nation, uh, the physical uh, descendants that come from them. But... There is in Israel, within Israel, that he's going to talk about. Those who are of the promise. Uh, those who are uh, believers, uh, as we've already begun to see in, in the book of Genesis, uh, that also for the woman, not all of, are of her offspring, but it's those who walk in her ways, who believe and trust in God, through which God preserves his blessings and promises. Uh, and those who are in unbelief, in rebellion against God, and serve not God but Satan uh, there they're the offspring of, of the, the serpent and so not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel there's a spiritual Israel within the larger physical nation of Israel a God's redeemed people uh, and not all are children of Abraham because they are of his offspring but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And so uh, not all are children of Abraham because they are of his offspring, his physical offspring. As Paul has spoken about elsewhere, that uh, it's those who walk in the way of Abraham, those who believe. There is a physical aspect to, to Israel, but there's also a spiritual. And those who believe, who trust in God's promises, who partake in the, the blessings and promises uh, given to Abraham and his offspring, they are 
uh, the true, uh, true descendants of uh, Abraham. And so, not all are children of Abraham because they are of his offspring, his physical offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's what God said to Abraham, through Isaac, not through Ishmael. Uh, that was the central issue there. But there was question, he was childless. Is Lot going to be his nephew? Is, is Lot going to have the inheritance? But then Lot moved away with all his great property and moved to be by Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, very, very foolish. Uh, away from Abraham. Uh, and then he had, uh, was it Eliezer? I'm, I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, a servant who was the head of his household, uh, who, who may have been prominent among his people, may have even been a relative. Uh, will he be my descendant? Uh, uh, God said no to that, but, uh, but God would raise up an offspring for him. Uh, and then with Ishmael, when Sarah, or Sarai, and uh, Abraham, or Avram, uh, before he is renamed, and sometimes I, I forget their, uh, <laughs> almost in English, uh, Abram, I, I, Abram, I guess you could call them. Uh, they tried to take it into their own hands. Uh, let's have an offspring with uh, Hagar, uh, Abram. But God had other plans. It is God who will raise up an offspring. God who will preserve uh, the promises and the blessings through Isaac uh, shall uh, your son be named. It shall be through your wife. It shall be through Sarai, uh, who he later named Sarah. And so, uh, as he says, but through Isaac shall your offspring be, be named. He is the child of promise. He is the child of blessing, not, uh, not Ishmael. Uh, this means, Paul says, verse 8, that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, physic, physical descendants, but the children of promise who are counted as offspring. The children of promise promised by God. The, the offspring, the seed that God preserves and God blesses and chooses uh, graciously. Uh, and he goes on, uh, for this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son about this time next year. This is the child of promise that God raised up. Uh, as, uh, we'll cover these things in more detail, Lord willing, in Genesis, uh, in the, the, the fall and in, uh, following. And so it's the children of promise. And the promise is, about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. It's the work of God. And not only so... And so now he goes from the example of Isaac, and now Ishmael. Ishmael was, he was a, a sort of a, a half-brother to, uh, to Isaac, since he was through Hagar. They had different mothers. But now he goes to an even stronger example of closer physical kin. Uh, and uh, so... Uh, showing again that it's not, it's not just physical descent that, that matters, but it's the promise. And not only so, but also when Rebekah, that's Isaac's wife, had conceived children by one man. And really it speaks about uh, 
them having uh, entering into marriage and their uh, marriage relations, her having twins, uh, children at, at the, the, the same time from the same father and mother. Uh, he, he says, and not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, good or evil, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And so fo follow along. It's kind of a mouthful, but let's break it down, slow it down a little bit. And not only so, so going to this new example, uh, that's not physical descendants, not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man. Same father, same mother, same time. They're twins. Uh, had conceived by one man, and this is prefacing what he wants to, wants to point out, where he says the older shall serve the younger. Also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born. So they hadn't been born yet and had did, done nothing, either good or, or bad, to, to commend them or to go against them. So they're not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. His choice, his purpose, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older shall serve the younger. So they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, uh, to recommend them to, to God or, or to, uh, to be a demerit uh, on them, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. His free choice, not because of works, not anything that humans do uh, before, before God, but because of him who calls. Who's that? That's, that's God. God calls. Uh, this is why uh, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Normally the older had uh, basically the, the, the right of uh, primogeniture. Uh, they were, uh, they were uh, the ones who received uh, a double portion of the inheritance. Uh, they were the ones who uh, had uh, the greater blessing and authority. <laughs> and uh, Reba is, is uh, pouting, but you, you better be careful because, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it can turn the, the tides. You know, God likes to throw things off. Uh, David uh, David was, uh, he had seven brothers and he was the eighth. And so you never, you never know. Uh, but uh, normally the older would have the right of the firstborn, uh, the fullness of the inheritance. Uh, oh no, I, I, I just, I won't uh, speak about the, the, uh, the, the big smile, the grin that's on Sarah's face. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll regret it in a moment. <laughs> I think we all will. Uh, but um, in this circumstance, it wasn't anything they had done, but it was God's purpose of election, God's choice. As it, uh, he said to Rebecca, the older will serve the younger. Well, she was still pregnant. They hadn't done anything. It wasn't anything that they had done. Uh, God was basically saying, I'm not following human traditions, 
my blessings, my promises only come by me. Uh, they're, they're only uh, gracious. It doesn't come from anything that humans do. Anything uh, to commend humans, uh, neither the firstborn or the secondborn or the thirdborn, the oldest or the youngest, it's sheerly by God's grace, God's choice, because sinners deserve nothing, but God uh, preserves his promises. And so, uh, to Rebecca, he said, the older will serve uh, the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And that comes from Malachi, basically speaking about God's gracious choice. God showed a gracious love uh, for uh, for Jacob, uh, but not for Esau. And uh, as a James White uh, scholar and an apologist has said, the thing that should shock us about what he says here is not the latter, but the former. Jacob, I love. That's what should shock us uh, because Jacob was a sinner. Uh, we're, we're all sinners. And Jacob was very uh, deceitful. Uh, he and his mother, uh, they deceived and lied. Uh, and uh, Jacob had uh, many, many problems, and God had to be very patient with him. And uh, he, he did come to believe God, and he, he was a believer. Uh, but uh, as we've seen with, with Moses and David and Solomon, uh, sinners, uh, they're, they're still sinners. Uh, they are far from perfect, and God is very gracious and patient with them. That's the thing. People are shocked when they see Esau, I hate it. But we should know as sinners that, that God would show love and mercy and grace uh, to someone like Jacob or someone like us uh, should be very surprising uh, to us. And this comes from Malachi. Uh, and now in Malachi, uh, some say, well, this isn't about individuals at all because it speaks about nations. Uh, in fact, let's just look quickly at Malachi. Malachi chapter 1. But uh, as we've seen, he's drawing from Genesis and talking about Isaac uh, before they had done nothing good or bad, uh, good or evil, and they had one parent. And uh, showing uh, God makes individual choices, and we're going to see more along the way. But yes, God chooses peoples, He chooses nations, He chooses the elect as a group. But the elect is not just a nameless, faceless group that God chooses, but there are people uh, within uh, that, uh, that group. And so, uh, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And he is the very last of all the prophets. This is the very last book of the Old Testament, the last of all the prophets, the last of the minor prophets, the, the twelve. Uh, and he had a message for, for the people. Uh, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, says Yahweh. But you say, how have you loved us? So they're, they're kind of denying that God implicitly has, has loved them. How have, ha, have you loved us? Is not Esau, Jacob's brother, uh, declares the Lord? Yeah, uh, Esau was Jacob's brother. 
Uh, that's true. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom, another name identifying, that's the territory where Esau and the, the people came from, Edom, a neighbor to Israel. Uh, if Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eye shall see this. You shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Uh, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. And then God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. Uh, they're not, they don't uh, give him uh, the, uh, the, the honor and the fear that he deserves as a father and a, a master. See so if this dialogue back and forth. And so uh, with Esau and the descendants of Esau, God uh, is not so gracious with them. Although ultimately even speaks about the blessing to all the nations and to Edom that God has purpose through Israel. But uh, he deals differently. He has a different love for his people uh, that don't deserve it. Uh, but he has a special love for Jacob, for Israel, for his descendants uh, that he does not have in the, the exact same way for Edom. And so they boast and they come under judgment for their sin and wickedness and evil that they do in the land and say, we'll rebuild. God tears down, we'll rebuild. Yahweh, Yahweh of Israel. And God says, no, I will judge them. Uh, and basically, ultimately, they will be subdued and God's glory will be over all of the, of the earth uh, for Israel and the kingdom. But Paul uh, draws from this uh, language in Romans chapter 9. Showing that it's God's choice, God's special love for his people, his election of Isaac, of Jacob, of the, the nation too, uh, their, uh, their descendants, the children of promise, not just physical descent, but of promise, God's gracious uh, choice. Uh, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And uh, this so far is showing that God's word has not failed. But God has always uh, graciously chosen uh, a people uh, to preserve his blessing and his uh, promises uh, of sinners who don't deserve God's blessing and God's unmerited favor. And so it's solely a work of God. It's nothing that they did to commend themselves, not because of who they're, uh, just who their father is, not because of any good or evil uh, that they did, but solely God's gracious work, even with twins, even with the first and second born. Same mother, same father. It's God's choice. And we've seen that all the way through through Genesis. And even where uh, people like uh, Tamar, a Canaanite, is brought into the people of God. Rahab, 
uh, a Canaanite prostitute from Jericho. She came to trust and believe in God. Ruth, the Moabitess. But Achan, uh, during uh, their raid on Jericho, uh, he took from what was banned and the gold and the silver from the city. And he and his family uh, who, were, who were with him and shared in his, his sin, uh, they came under a curse. Uh, they, uh, they were as if they weren't of, uh, of God's people. And so this raises a question. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Do you know what his answer is? By no means. <laughs> May it never be. He, he says that over and over. That's how he raises a new issue, a new topic, objections uh, to what he's teaching. And if you read the previous section and your interpretation of it, uh, where people try and read in, well, this is just about nations, nameless, faceless groups. Uh, it's not, uh, and uh, it, God chooses those who choose him. It's by libertarian free will. It's, you know, God, uh, as James White is wont to say, he looks down the corridors of time, sees who's going to believe in him, then he chooses them. They choose him, he chooses them. It's something that they do. That just turns on its head what Paul just said. And what is so offensive about that to humans? Uh, what Paul just taught and said is supposed to offend. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God on the hook? Is he in the bench? Is God unjust? Is he on trial for what he has done? Paul, Paul says, by no means. May it never be. For he says to Moses... I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It's God's free choice. It's God's free gift to have mercy and compassion on undeserving, wicked sinners who deserve nothing from God uh, even with his original creation, we owe nothing God. He created it all. From him are all things. To him are all things. Uh, well, through him and to him. They're all from him, from God. As Paul's going to say at the end of, uh, when he closes this whole section at uh, Romans 11, God owns it all. Uh, it all comes through him. All of the blessings, all of the promises, all of his provision and, and creation for his for his uh, creatures and provision, and they're all to him and for him. They, they belong ultimately to him. Uh, so, uh, no, there is no injustice on God's part. God is just. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's uh, true for the physical descendants of Israel. Uh, not all Israel are of Israel, but those on whom God has mercy and compassion. And so he concludes and draws an inference from this. Uh, verse 16, So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Literally, uh, now then, uh, it uh, it, it depends not on the one willing, nor on the one running. 
but on God who has mercy, the mercying God, the God who mercies, who gives, uh, gives and grants mercy. And so, uh, so from, from all of this, showing God has mercy on whom he wills, he has compassion on whom he wills. It depends not on the one who wills, uh, the one willing. That's a human activity uh, of willing, exercising our will, choosing, deciding uh, of humans. Uh, it's not by, by uh, humans, uh, the one willing, nor the one running. Uh, running takes great human exertion and effort uh, to run. Great energy, great effort uh, to, uh, to, to run. Uh, but it doesn't depend on human, uh, great human effort, great human exertion, or human will, but on God who has mercies. It's all of grace. It's all of God's mercy. And it is only received by faith. And that's true of physical Israel and spiritual Israel, those on whom God has mercy. Not all Israel is of Israel. And so uh, he even expands on this. Now uh, to go from, uh, go from Isaac, Abraham's son Isaac, uh, and uh, Isaac and Rebekah's uh, sons, uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, now uh, to Pharaoh, showing it's not merely a, a matter of God's free to mercy or to have mercy uh, and free to, uh, to have grace and compassion, but he's also free uh, over Pharaoh to, to judge. So he says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. He takes it one step further. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up. What's his purpose? That I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why God raised up Pharaoh as Pharaoh over Egypt. At that time, in that place, that specific Pharaoh. Uh, it's not that God had to force Pharaoh to sin and to do evil, wicked uh, deeds, uh, as if Pharaoh uh, was saying, no, no, God, please, I want to do good. I, I want to repent. I want to believe. I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, all, all of these curses and such. And you kind of see when the curses came, well, he didn't like that. You know, okay, I'll, I'll stop. I won't do it again. But then he would sin again and wanted, wouldn't let Israel go, brought him under threats and slavery and judgment and wanted to kill them. Even uh, uh, and there, there's a, a Pharaoh, I think the, the one before him, they, they were all doing evil deeds and carrying these things on, even killing the sons who were born to the Israelites, having them murdered, having them put out, exposed in the cold, in the land, to die from, from the women so that they wouldn't multiply. Uh, they were evil and wicked, doing their evil and wicked deeds. But God is sovereign even over the wicked deeds of humans and uses it for his good ends, uh, even subverting their uh, evil, as uh, 
Carl Truman has uh, said. It's not just that God uses evil as if, and, and even when you use that, you, you can say that, but uh, it's not the idea of God using evil as if he, he's like, well, I'm going to do evil. No, God subverts it, undermines it, and turns the evil deeds of men for his good and just purpose. And so uh, it says uh, then, for, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. When God brings judgment uh, and uh, power and his miracles uh, upon the people and upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians who rebelled against him uh, to show that God is just and holy and powerful and judges sin, even killing all of their firstborn and drowning Pharaoh and his entire army and chariots uh, in uh, the, the sea, uh, very much like the floods to bring the people out of the land. And so Paul draws from this and says, uh, God showing his power uh, and uh, having his might proclaimed uh, in all of the earth. Uh, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. It's not just a matter of mercy and compassion that God is free in, but he is free uh, to bring judgment. Uh, he is free to harden, to take his hand of restraint off of the sinner like Pharaoh and to give him over to his sinful desires that he uh, wants uh, to do. God restrains him, but sometimes he takes his hand off and uh, it's kind of like, okay, your will be done. And gives, gives, uh, gives them over to their uh, evil uh, desires to accomplish uh, his good purposes. And you see that ultimately in the cross, uh, the greatest evil that was ever perpetrated by sinners, both Jews and Gentiles and all peoples, uh, but God used it to redeem undeserving sinners. And so Paul says, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills. And we saw that uh, earlier with uh, Isaac and uh, Jacob. Uh, and he hardens whomever he wills. And this raises another objection. And so, uh, showing again, if your interpretation of this text doesn't offend prideful, sinful, rebellious humans uh, that think they are judges over, over God, and God cannot judge, he cannot be just, he cannot have mercy, uh, he's not free to have mercy and compassion on undeserving sinners. Why does Paul then uh, say, uh, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Paul's response, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And so uh, another objection. Earlier he said, uh, is there injustice on God's part? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion 
on whom I have compassion. But now uh, you will say to me then, uh, he's kind of talking to uh, as if there's uh, kind of a dialogue partner uh, objecting or as if you know his audience, uh, some of his audience objected to what, uh, what he's saying uh, here. Uh, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? What can I say? God's unjust to find fault and blame uh, upon sinners because we can't resist uh, his will. Uh, he hardens us and gives us over to our, our, our sin. Uh, th- th- that seems unjust. We can't even resist his will. Uh, uh, God does whatever he pleases, it sounds like. God is sovereign and ruler and king over all. In, in judging, uh, his, his judicial hardening, giving sinners over to their evil, wicked desires, or in having grace and mercy on undeserving sinners. Uh, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? No one can resist his will. That's what they're implying. No one can resist it. So God shouldn't find fault. He's ultimately in control over, over all things. Uh, and Paul could say many, many things. He could try to soften it. He could try to lighten it uh, in, in what he's saying. But he, he goes a different route and just uh, basically shuts their mouth. Uh, he says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say uh, to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? You have no right or place to answer to God. You are just a human. You are just a creature. You are not the just judge over all the earth. You're not the, the, the eternal wise creator. You are just a man. You are not the judge over God. You are not God's judge. God is the judge. You're in the bench, not God. A God sits in judgment over you. Who are you, O man? It's it's not your it's not your your place, uh, and so uh, just to finish up, I think that Moses is probably going to hide because it's scared of us. I think he probably has a hiding place over over there. But uh, who are you, old mouse, uh, to to come into our classroom? Anyway, uh, but who who are you, oh man? And so it's not man's place. And Paul doesn't even try to lighten it. He doesn't try to excuse God. He doesn't try and get him off the bench. But like with Job, when God questions him, where were you when I created the seas? Where were you when I stretched out the heavens? Where were you? Do you know uh, how, uh, how I created this? You know how this works? Can you tame Leviathan, the, the, the very uh, strongest and most powerful and deadly of all the creatures of the sea and land? Can you tame them? Can you rule over them and control them uh, and count the stars? Uh, it's not Job's place. Job does not understand. Uh, and as Pastor Bob said, Job gets it right when he says, I repent in dust and ashes. I close my mouth 
I did not know of what I was speaking, things too great and powerful and wondrous uh, for, for me. It's not man's place, and so Paul does not try to lighten it, but just turns it back on the objector uh, and, and says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? The molder, God's the potter, we're the clay. God is free uh, to create uh, his creatures, uh, to do whatever his wise and just and holy plan uh, pre predetermines. And so uh, it, the, the potter had, uh, or the, the, you know, a thing molded, you wouldn't expect a pot, something that you've molded, a vase, a vessel on the potter's wheel to talk back to the potter uh, and say, why have you made me like this? You, you have no, no right to turn me into a, a, a vase, uh, into a vase. I don't want to be a vase. I, I, want, to be, I want to be a bowl or a cup or, or a, a teacup or a, a jar or, or a drinking vessel or something like that. It's not, it's not, uh, the, it's not the, the pot's job uh, uh, to, to answer back uh, to the potter. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. But the molder is free. Uh, to make, yes, uh, he, he pleases. Uh, and uh, we uh, will return here, Lord willing, uh, next uh, week uh, and finish uh, this chapter. But uh, just up to here, we see that uh, Paul begins by defending uh, God's freedom, showing not all Israel are of Israel, but it's not the physical descendants, but those of the promise, those on whom God freely has mercy and compassion. God is free to have mercy, and he is free uh, to judge unworthy, unjust sinners who, who deserve only God's judgment. And so this is how he begins his answer. What about, what about the, the Israelites? What about his people? Has God's word failed? Uh, no, it hasn't. All the way back to Genesis, God's promises, God's blessing has always been free, has only always been solely by his grace through faith in a Christ. Uh, and as we develop, he speaks more about the, the unbelief by and large of the Jewish people uh, with the remnant. But then uh, at the, the end of chapter uh, 11, showing that ultimately God is going to have a great national ethnic remnant who are going to be believers that he is going to redeem and bring back and everything is going to come full circle and so uh, there are some who object to uh, what Paul and uh, the prophets uh, all the way back to Genesis and uh, the, the spirit of God uh, teach at this first part uh, and they're, they're offended but there are some who get to the end and then they cry out, it's not fair. How, how could God save uh, this great national remnant? That's not fair. He, he doesn't just do that for uh, everyone. Uh, but uh, Paul is an equal opportunity offender because we, none of us, deserve grace. But it, it's, uh, we're, we're only saved by God's grace in his son. And so uh, let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for the Apostle Paul and just how 
uh, how you, you teach these uh, truths that we could not understand uh, apart from you, apart from, apart from your spirit. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, we, we could never come to know them uh, apart from you. And I pray that you would help us to, to understand, to trust in you, to realize that uh, you are sovereign over all and that you are good and wise and just and merciful and that uh, you are very free and good in having having mercy and grace on whomever whomever you will and uh, that none of us uh, deserve uh, your blessing and your promises uh, and so we thank you for your grace and uh, pray that you would have mercy and grace upon us and that uh, ultimately one day you would redeem uh, your people even uh, you saved Israelites and Gentiles of, of all time, but I, I pray the day that would come when all Israel would be saved and you would be glorified. And so uh, we pray in your son's name and give you all glory and honor in his name. Amen.